0: Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, Do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Hey, my friends. So happy to have you back and for us to get going On another new season here of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, before I introduce my guest, I want to make an announcement, actually. I haven't talked about this before, but we are doing something new with this podcast in particular. So I have started a Patreon page for the podcast so that you can become a part of it and that you can help support. The Do Something Beautiful podcast, as you know, is inspired by Mother Teresa, who reached out to the lonely and the forgotten and the dying. And so what we do here in this podcast, if you're a new listener, you probably picked up pretty quickly. And of course, if you're a faithful listener and you've caught up on every single episode, God. Love you. You know that what I do here is I find people all around the world who are doing something beautiful, doing something good to kind of restore humanity and for us to highlight the good in people. But as as you may or maybe may not know, podcast and this type of work actually takes an exorbitant amount of time and money and expenses. And so I'm asking for help. And I also wanted to create a place where we can do this together, where we can be in this together and and produce together an amazing podcast. So for that, I've created a Patreon page and I'll add the link in the show notes if you want to go ahead and check it out. I actually received an email from the Patreon executives saying that they loved my membership tiers. So it's pretty fun. So or my patron tiers, excuse me. So you can go now you know that I have a deep love for the for the TV show The Office. And so I'll just allude to the fact that they are connected deeply to that. So there's different tiers that you can sign up to become a patron of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. And with it, you get some pretty cool, do something beautiful, some good DSB swag. So we've got some pretty fun things in there. And there's some exclusive. Bonus content and actually a mini podcast in the Patreon site for patrons of the do something beautiful podcast. So if you choose to support each month and help us kind of grow this podcast and really make it amazing and better, I list all of those ways out, but you also get some exclusive content that I'm not going to release publicly. So, there is my announcement. I really do hope you take a look at that. You can go to patreon.com/leiadero to check it out. Again, that's patreoncom Leodaro. if anything go and check out my tiers of patronage. Go and check them out so you can see just what I've done. I've actually worked so hard on finding the right gift from the office for each one. I actually just like going on there to to look at them again. Anyway, so that is going on. All right, now moving on to our guest for today. We are speaking to Mr. Christopher West. So pretty much everybody in the Catholic Church has heard of him. If you haven't, well, I don't know where you've been, but here you go. So Christopher West, he serves as president and senior lecturer for the Theology of the Body Institute near Philadelphia. You more than likely have heard of that, the TOB Institute. I love it. My husband and I have taken many courses there, and every time we can fit it into our schedule with our family, we try to get ourselves up there. It's just a wonderful, wonderful place. So Christopher, he has, he does global lecturing. He's got best-selling books, multiple audio and video programs have really made him one of the world's most recognized teachers of St. John Paul II's Theology of Body. His work has been featured in like the New York Times and on ABC News, MSNBC, Fox News, and as you can imagine, countless Catholic and evangelical media outlets. You can find a lot more about his stuff at theologyofthebody.com. I will add all of that in the show notes of how how to connect with Christopher either on social media or through his website. So we'll get to that. This is an amazing Amazing, amazing interview with him. He is, he is so great. He's so intense. He is so passionate about Christ and his love for us and his mercy. I got nervous a few times during the interview because I'm like, oh my gosh! Uh, uh, uh. And you'll, you'll figure out really quickly what I'm talking about once you listen to it. But he is so wonderful and he is kind and he is such a loving and faithful servant of God. I cannot wait for you to hear this. So without further ado, here's Mr. Christopher West. Christopher, how are you doing? Leah, I am doing
1: great. And I am very excited to be talking to you and your audience today.
0: We are excited to hear from you. There are so many things that I wanna discuss with you. We're gonna dive right in. The first thing, the biggest thing that I saw a little while back as a new announcement about the Theology of the Body Institute, you are circling back and you are head honcho over there again. Is that correct?
1: Well, it is. It is. As of August 15th, which is the Feast of the Assumption, a good day to make it all happen. I am now president of the Theology of the Body Institute. Uh, I was one of the co-founders of the Institute in 2004. And was in the administration. I developed the curriculum, recruited the faculty there. We offer a certification program there at the Theology of the Body Institute. We've had, gosh, since 2004, we've had about, gosh, five, over 5,000, nearly 6,000 students come through our courses in the last 14 or 15 years. That's been very exciting. But I did, I left the administration behind in 2010, and I started something called the Core Project that became the umbrella under which I did my wider ministry. And Then just circumstances came together in the last year or so that made it make sense for me to take the reins again over at the Theology of the Body Institute. So as of this past summer, I am the president of the Theology of the Body Institute, and still we're running the core project now as an outreach of the Theology of the Body Institute. It's very exciting.
0: It is. Now, I'm a huge fan, as many, many listeners are of this podcast, of the Theology of the Body Institute. My husband and I have taken three courses already, and we're always trying to, depending on how old our kids are, trying to find time to escape, to go out there to take another course. But for those who, who aren't familiar with it, and I shouldn't be surprised. I think I'm a little, I just maybe naive to think that everybody knows about it, because there's plenty of people who have never heard of Theology of the Body Institute or even the Theology of the Body from John yeah. Paul II. So could you introduce to us what is The Theology of the Body? And then from there, what does the Institute do to bring that out to the people today?
1: Sure, sure. So Theology of the Body is the working title that St. John Paul II gave to the first major teaching project of his pontificate. It's a collection of 129 Wednesday audience addresses that he delivered between 1979 and 1984. Now, I bet a lot of your listeners weren't even born when John Paul II was given the Theology <laughs> of the Body. So that might just seem like, well, what does that have to do with me? That's just way back there. I don't, I don't even know what that is, or why, why should I be interested? The Theology of the Body is the answer to the crisis of our times, and here's why. The war that is going on in the world and in the church today, right here, right now, in the world we live in, is an all-out war against the meaning of our bodies. We live in a culture, Leah, that's telling us our bodies are meaningless. This is what the world is telling us. The gospel tells us that ultimate meaning, the word of God himself, the logos, that's the Greek word, right? We hear the word was made flesh, but the word that we translate word in Greek is logos. That gives us a richer sense of it. It means... The logic behind everything, the meaning behind everything, the purpose behind everything became flesh to reveal in our flesh the purpose and meaning behind everything. So this is the war in the world. The war in the world is a war between the word and the anti-word, Christ and the antichrist. How do we know the difference? Christ comes in the flesh to reveal ultimate meaning in the flesh. The Antichrist, St. John tells us, is the one who denies Christ come in the flesh. He's the one who denies that the body means anything. The war in the world, John Paul II told us, this was, gosh, this was in the 70s when he said this, this before he became Pope. He says, the world may now be facing the greatest struggle, the greatest tension between the word and the anti-word in all of human history. John Paul II gave us the theology of the body precisely as the antidote to the crisis of our times. Now, if you've heard the phrase floating out there, a lot of people hear theology of the body, and it kind of gets pegged as, oh, that's for marriage prep, or that's just for married people. Well, it gets pegged that way because, yes, John Paul II gives us a beautiful, extensive reflection on why God made us male and female and why the two are called to become one flesh in the sacrament of marriage. But if we think it's only for married people, we're missing out on the scope of what John Paul II gave us. I like to say this, Leah, if you have a body, the theology of the body applies to you. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. this is a reflection on the meaning of our humanity. This is This is really an education in what it means to be human. Mm. So, When I first discovered this teaching in 1993, I knew I was holding in my hands the answer to the crisis of our day. I knew I was holding in my hands the antidote, if you will, for the world's cancer, and I knew I'd spend the rest of my life studying it and sharing it with the world, and by God's grace, the doors have opened for me to do that. It's taken lots of different shapes over the years, but... In the early 2000s, the Theology of the Body Institute was founded. Uh, I was one of the co founders, and our goal, our job, is to educate as many men and women as is possible lay people, married people, single people, consecrated people, priests, religious. We have all, and even not even, you know, sometimes even Protestants come. Sometimes we've had even atheists come to our courses. People don't have any faith at all. We've had Hindus come. We've had, I think we had, some kind of, gosh, some kind of Eastern religion. I can't remember the name of it. Some guy came. Anyway, the point is this. We are, our mission is to educate men and women in this beautiful vision. And we do it through these five day intensive courses that we offer here in Pennsylvania at a beautiful retreat center. And we also have a new online community where we are offering kind of introductory courses online to kind of prime the pump and to keep that Keep an ongoing formation program in an online format through our community, which is online. You can learn more about all of this at com.
0: Love it. Yeah, it is so good. Like I said before, Ricky and I had, had taken for our marriage prep, actually, the prep that was offered to us, we just weren't happy with and felt mm-hmm. like we wanted something more. We needed something more. And praise be to God, we knew about the TOB Institute. And so we, and God, of course, God ordained it. I mean, like he, there's this perfect course for us to go. And so we went and we took, we actually signed up for love and responsibility first.
1: Mm -hmm. With Janet Smith. Yes.
0: And so we took that course. And, and then later on, after we were married, we've taken now TOB one and TOB two. And Ricky and I, we've been married, we'll be married for seven years in a few months which i know is not that long but we absolutely accredit so much of the early struggles of marriage and we're still in them but the help that we've received by going back to those to those notes and to that oh, experience God. and we we're seeing awesome. like so if we did not have the perspective that with this beautiful gift that the church has from what we learned there and the time that we got to spend praying and studying such good theology about what it does mean to be human and relationships and all of that, like we talk about today. I mean, when people say like, well, what's one thing that, you, that you've that you done in your marriage or marriage prep that has been very beneficial? We always say Theology of the Body Institute, Theology of the Body Institute. It's for us, in a sense, saved our marriage before we even got married.
1: That is so awesome to hear, Leah. And the number one response I get when I give lectures around the world is, you know, I went to Catholic schools my whole life and never heard any of this. Why not? Well, it was the same way for me. Growing up, I grew up in the church in the 70s and 80s, and the basic message that kind of hovered in the air was your desires are bad. They're only going to get you in trouble. You need to repress all that and follow all these rules, and you'll be a good upstanding Christian citizen. Well, I call that the starvation diet gospel. This is not our faith, but so many people think it is. And if we think that those deep longings in our heart have no response, at least no response from the church, nothing worth really following, then we become quick converts to what I call the fast food gospel, which is the secular culture's promise of immediate gratification of those deep hungers and desires. And I don't know about you, but if the only two choices for this deep hunger and ache for something that I've felt my whole life, if the only two choices are starve on the one hand or eat fast food on the other. I'm I'm going for the chicken nuggets cuz I'm hungry.
0: Right, right.
1: But if you if you eat fast food as your steady diet, which I did a lot of in my teenage years, you get pretty sick. And that's that's a picture of me in my college years. I was dealing in my college years with the if I can just draw out the analogy here, I was dealing with all the grease and the sodium in my system from all that fast food, so to speak. And I fell on my knees in a college dorm in 1988. And I said, God in heaven, if you exist, you better show me why you gave me all these desires because they're getting me and everybody I know into a heck of a lot of trouble. What is your plan? And making a long story short, I sought and what I found a few years later was this theology of the body by John Paul II. And for the first time in my life, Leah, I had an answer to some of these questions like the Pope, this crazy Polish guy in Rome was it was speaking right to my heart. And this is what I heard when I read it. This is the way it kind of came across. It's like, Christopher, I know you think the church teaches you're supposed to repress all those desires, but those desires are not meant to be repressed. They're meant to be redeemed. And that ache you've always felt in your heart, it has a name. It's called Eros, E-R-O-S. Now, I'm in my early 20s at this point. And the only way I understand that word eros is the eroticized culture in which we live, which was pornographic. And I learned from John Paul II that eros is not to be confused with another Greek word, pornea. We know what English word we get from that, right? He said, no, eros, John Paul II says, is put in our hearts and our bodies by God. And it's meant to lead us to God. It is the desire in the heart for everything true, good, and beautiful, and it is also, I learned from John Paul II, the desire for ultimate truth, ultimate goodness, ultimate beauty, and the other name for that is God. Eros. I mean, this was this was revolutionary for me, Leah. I don't even know how to explain how radically this changed my life. Here's my analogy. This is this is you know my job is to put the dense theology of John Paul II into images and language and analogies that normal people can understand. So here's how I summarize it with this analogy. I like to say God gave us Eros, that deep cry of the heart for love, for union, for intimacy, for happiness, for fulfillment. Eros is like the fuel of a rocket that has the power to launch us to the stars. And if I may quote from the old Toy Story movies, to infinity and beyond. (laughs) But here's the problem with original sin, our rocket engines got inverted. And this is why so many of us go out into the world looking for love, looking for happiness, looking for connection, looking for affirmation and intimacy. And it backfires on us. Good news of the gospel that I learned from John Paul II that changed my life and set me out on this mission is that Christ came into the world not to condemn those with inverted rocket engines. He came into the world to redirect our rocket engines to the stars. So what we're after here is not redemption from the body. It's not redemption from eros and sexuality. It's the redemption of the body. It's the redemption of eros and sexuality. It's the redirection of all our energies and desires as men and women towards what Scripture calls the marriage of the Lamb.
0: Do you think—this is kind of a side topic, but a question that I get a lot, and I'm sure you do too—but do you think what you're talking about, like just right there— That that is one of the obstacles that makes it hard for the person who asked the question if I love my boyfriend and we're together and I'm sure we'll end up together, why can I not sleep with him?
1: There's no here's how I put it. You know, people will say, just as you said, Leah, oh come on, Christopher, if I really love my boyfriend or my girlfriend, why can't I have sex with him? And I say, Well, you can have sex. The question is, is it good to do so? When is sex really an act of love? That's the question right? Because no act of love is wrong. No act of authentic love is ever wrong. So the question is, when is sex an expression of authentic love, right? So in order to answer that question, we have to know what love really is. How can we know what love really is, right? God is love. So the measure of all love is not our feelings or our warm, gooey, attractions or desires. The measure of love is Jesus saying to the world, love one another as I have loved you. That's the new commandment. That's what it means to be human. We have to learn how to love divinely, right? That's the goal. And that's why our bodies are theological because our bodies in the very mystery of sexual difference, In the very creation of the human being as male and female, you know what we discover, right? Stamped in our bodies, we discover the call to love divinely. This is one of the great, great insights of John Paul II, that the new commandment Jesus gives us, love one another as I have loved you, is chiseled by God right in our bodies. We are called to love as Jesus loves. How does Jesus love? This is my body. Given up for you. What most of us don't know is that when Jesus says this, this is my body given up for you, this is the language of the bridegroom to the bride. John Paul II tells us that the Eucharist, which is the source and summit of our faith, it's the source and summit of all love. If we want to know what it means to love, we have to go to the Eucharist. We have to love as Jesus loves. How does Jesus love? Number one, he loves freely. They do not take my life from me. I lay it down freely. Number two, he loves totally. It's no half measure. It's no selfish calculation. It's an unreserved, wholehearted, total gift of self. Number three, Jesus loves faithfully. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Number four, Jesus loves fruitfully. I have come so that my bride might have life and have it to the full. Free, total, faithful, fruitful love. That's what our sexuality is meant to express. And you know what another name for free, total, faithful, fruitful love is, Leah? Tell me. Marriage. This is exactly what a man and a woman commit to at the altar. The priest asks the couple, have you come here freely to give yourselves without reservation in marriage? They say, yes, we have. Do you promise to be faithful all the days of your life? Yes, we do. Do you promise to receive children lovingly from God? Yes, we do. That's the wedding vow right there, to love as Jesus loves. And here, this is what I learned from John Paul II that rocked my world and changed my life. Sexual intercourse is meant to be the expression and renewal of wedding vows. It's meant to be loving divinely. It's meant to be where the words of the wedding vows are made flesh. So when young couples say to me, we really love each other, what's wrong with having sex? I'll say, do you love her freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully? Are you ready to exchange wedding vows? Well, I wasn't, I mean, that's not what I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't exactly, I wasn't. Okay, then don't confuse your desire for sexual pleasure with love. Love is not just the seeking of a pleasurable experience with someone you feel close to. Love is the total, if we're talking sexual love, there are different kinds of love, right? But if we're talking sexual love, We're talking about a love that is freely given, totally given, faithful unto death, and open to having children. And that kind of love is called marriage. Mm. And I want to say to the women out there listening right now, and if there are guys out there listening too, it's the same as true, but I want to speak right into the hearts of the women listening to this podcast. My dear sisters, you are worth the real deal. And I know if you look in your heart, I know that you already know you want to be loved in this way. You want to be loved by a man who sees that you are worth sacrificing everything for. You want to be loved by a man in that place where you are safe and you know he's never going to leave you. That safety, that commitment that you are worth is called marriage. And don't settle for a man who doesn't want to live that with you. Don't settle for a man who isn't ready and willing to make the sacrifice necessary to live this love with you. You'll be happier remaining single your whole life than settling for a man who doesn't know how to live this and doesn't want to live this with you. You're worth the real deal. Don't settle.
0: Oh, amen. Amen. I, a thousand times amen. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. I mean, I wish, (laughs) I wish my 15 and 20 and 25 year old self would have heard that exact thing, even if it would have been difficult to hear. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure that there are people listening to this who, are in a situation where they have accepted that imitation love. They have don't believe they're worth the authentic love that you've just described that that has given to us from Christ himself. And it's so hard to hear that. It's hard to hear that message of that we are worth that. We are worth the real deal, as you said. But it is true. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it makes you feel like you don't know if you're worth it or if you doubt you can doubt all you want, but it doesn't make the truth change. You are worth that real deal.
1: Can I tell you a story, Leah?
0: I would love to hear a story.
1: I was talking to a college student recently, a young guy. He's 19 years old. He has a girlfriend. And he's learning about his girlfriend's sexual past, which was pretty rough. And he had grown up in a home that understood and lived this theology of the body best they could. Nobody does it perfectly, right? Right but he grew up with this as his frame of reference. And in his teenage years, younger teenage years, he kind of rebelled against it for a time, but he's kind of coming back into it. And he was realizing for the first time, oh my gosh, I was raised with this. This girl has never heard any of this stuff before. And he started sharing what he kind of just took for granted as his frame of reference for how beautiful and holy God's plan is for man and woman. And in a particular way, how beautiful and holy a woman's body is as a sanctuary as a dwelling place of god i mean pause here for a minute if christmas is real you know if christmas is real if the word really became flesh and was born of a woman then mary's body mary's womb became the dwelling place of the most high god and every woman's body every woman's body shares in this dignity. Woman, this is what we learn in the theology of the body. This is what we learn when we put these glasses on that John Paul II gave us. We discover that a woman's body is the dwelling place of the most high God. Her womb is the holy of holies. This is absolutely astounding. When we see this, and this, this young guy in college, he was trying to share some of this stuff with his girlfriend in light of, of the broken past that she had, and I heard one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. This 19-year-old girl says to this 19-year-old guy, here in this vision for the first time in her life, "You make me feel like a virgin again," she said. "mm."." mm she said, I've never heard any of this. You, but what the way you're talking about sexuality is something so beautiful and sacred. You make me feel like a virgin again. Oh my gosh. When I heard that story, I I almost wept. It's so beautiful. Yeah.
0: And that's this, I mean, that is the story or at least the past where so many women are. Yes. And we can't pretend that that's not going on. I mean, there's just such hurt and there's a past that that we don't love that we're not proud of that we are trying to run away from that we're trying to find healing from redemption from all of that and it's just this message of theology of the body as you said is the answer to those questions and those doubts of can i move on what am i going to say how can i how, how can i even love myself the way i need to love myself First. Yes. And yes. that is for me, and all my listeners, especially my faithful listeners, know my past and they know what I've been through. But I had that rough past for many, many, many years. Yes. And I left the faith for a decade because I because of that past it was because of my past and because of those of those sexual sins and because of those things that I felt like well that's it there's no place for me I know what I've done I know it's wrong and I'm just wasted talent and there are so so many women and I know this because they reach out to me so who say Leah me too me yeah. too that's yeah. that's my past, or that's me right now, and yeah. I, yeah. so what you're saying is so it is the balm that we need to hear and to put on those wounds so that we can start afresh again with the Lord.
1: Can I speak into this even even more directly, Leah, is that okay? Yes, first of all, all my dear sisters out there listening. If you have never heard this coming from a man before, it is long overdue, but it needs to be said and better late than never. I'd ask you please to forgive me as a representative of the male side of the human race, if I can say it this way, and any man in your life who has ever failed to honor you as that sanctuary, as that dwelling place, as that image and sacred sign of heaven on earth. Forgive us as men for the ways we look at you, but we do not see you. For the ways we treat you as an object for our pleasure. Forgive us, we know not what we do. For the ways that men have ever dismissed you, perhaps because you didn't meet some standard of un attainable beauty or whatever the world holds out to us which is just so distorted in its understanding of what beauty is please forgive us men for believing those lies and holding you to these impossible standards forgive us for the ways we haven't honored the way you see the world forgive us for the ways we've not known how to benefit and and be enriched by your femininity but we've treated your femininity as something for us to toy with and play with and experiment with and use for our own pleasure. Please, please ask God's grace to forgive the men in your life who have treated you this way. We know not what we do. You are a daughter of the King. You are bride to Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Please, please forgive us. We don't know what we do.
0: Yeah, I think I think that there's there's definitely a good amount of room there for us women to pipe up and, and in a sense say the same thing as well in our own ways of you know, accepting that and also our own responsibility in not knowing the gift that we are and not allowing yes. you know, out of fear, out of doubt of lowering our own standards. Because yes. Our own misunderstanding of God's love for us and his mercy for us and for all, for all people, obviously not just women, but, and there's, that's really big, I think with us women is that we have that fear and that doubt that we just might not be loved or might not be wanted if we don't do, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yes. And so we lower the bar and we give ourselves away and we allow ourselves, we allow the abuse, we allow the, the use to come into our life and then we create from that, that standard of, well, I guess this is just how it is. Yeah. And and then we play into that narrative and we have to, speaking as from speaking as a woman, from a woman's perspective, we as women, we have to stand up and stop. We have to stand up and speak out. We need to use our voices and say no more and and hold ourselves to the standard that God holds for us, which as you said, is a daughter of the most high God.
1: Yeah, and you're worth it. You have to know you're worth it. Yeah. You know, there's 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 so much light that John Paul's teaching shines on our disordered behavior, not in a condemning way, but in a way that demonstrates what we've been really looking for the whole time. This is so important. If I can unfold a little bit of, of John Paul's understanding here. See, sexual union, as God created it to be, is meant to be a sign in this world of the ultimate love and union we're looking for. And this comes out throughout scripture, but in the most beautiful and most concentrated way, if you will, it comes out in Ephesians chapter five, where St. Paul says that the one flesh union of husband and wife is meant to be a sign that reveals Christ's love for the church. He says, this is a great mystery, The union of man and woman is a great mystery, he says. And then he says, and it refers to Christ and the church. How so? How so? Well, where do we become one flesh with Jesus Christ? We become one flesh with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the consummation of a mystical marriage. Right? The Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. The Bible begins with the holy communion of man and woman, but it ends with the holy communion of Christ and the church. And the whole purpose of the union of man and woman is to give us a little, little, little glimmer here on planet earth of what our ultimate destiny is. And this is why the enemy is after our sexuality. Cause he doesn't want us to see in our bodies. He doesn't want us to experience in our sexuality the foreshadowing of heaven. He wants it to lead us somewhere else, put it that way. The enemy attacks our sexuality, not because sexuality is evil. No, he attacks it because it is so good. And he's trying to prevent our sexuality from doing what God created it to do, lead us to heaven. But here's the good news. Christ, by dying on that cross, absorbed into his own body all of the lies that we've absorbed about our bodies, all of the sins that have been committed against us and all the sins that we have committed, Christ absorbed all of them into his own body. And when he died, they died. Mm -hmm. And he came out the other side glorified. And interestingly enough, even in the resurrection, Jesus still has his wounds, but now they're shining with glory. This is his promise. What are the things, and I'll ask everybody who's listening, just to reflect on this in your own life. What are the things in your life you're most ashamed of? What are the wounds in your heart or in your body or in your mind that, you're, that have caused you the most pain and shame. Here's Christ's promise. Give them to him. Give those wounds to him. And they will shine with glory. Those very things that you're most ashamed of will shine with the most glory if you are willing to open them up to your heavenly bridegroom, to the one who loves you as you've always desired to be loved. The one who loves you as you've always desired to be loved is Christ, the bridegroom. And the journey of the Christian life is always one of learning how to redirect our desire for perfect love toward perfect love. Hmm. And the greatest example of this in all of scripture, in my humble opinion, is the story of the woman at the well.
0: Oh, you're speaking my language. Christopher, you're speaking my language. This is my favorite. John 4 is my favorite.
1: (laughs) Can I launch? Can I go on this, Leah? Is that all right?
0: Yes, go. This is I love it. Okay, so here we go. Here we go.
1: Here we go. I implore every woman out there listening to this podcast, please spend, take six weeks or take a whole year just studying John 4. So this woman who's had quite a sexual past, she comes to the well why? Jacob's well. Why? Because she's thirsty. That's what you do when you're thirsty. You go to the well, right? And she meets this mysterious guy there. And the guy says, give me a drink. Now, this was quite unusual because men in the day did not talk to strange women. This was not part of the culture. So she's like, why are you even talking to me? Right? And Jesus enters into this conversation with her about her thirst. And she says, well, the well is deep. The well is deep. Yes, it." is. And that's an image of our hearts. Our hearts go so deep because we are made for an infinite and a perfect love and an infinitely perfect love. That's what we're made for. That's the deep well. That's the deep thirst we all feel. And then Jesus takes the conversation from physical thirst again to this deeper spiritual thirst when he points out to her where she has been taking her thirst. He says, go get your husband. Why does he say, go get your husband? To shame her or humiliate her? No, 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 no. To point out to her where she's taking her thirst for love. Well, I don't have a husband, she says. Jesus says, I know. I know you've been married five times, and the man you're with now, the sixth guy, he's not your husband at all. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't scold her. Listen to what he says. If you knew the gift that I wanted to give you, you would ask me for a drink. And I would give you a water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Do you see how Jesus is getting this woman in touch with her thirst? He's saying, I know you've taken it to all these less perfect lovers. And by the way, how many, how many men Leah had she been with? Well, it says just five, but yeah. Well, she was married five times, but then she's with another guy. So five plus one is? Six. What's the imperfect biblical number? Six. Six. What's the perfect biblical number, Leah?
0: Three. No,
1: well, that's the Trinitarian. The Trinity.
0: Number. <laughs> one.
1: But the perfect biblical number is seven. Who is her seventh lover? Mm,
0: Christ. Woo!
1: So great. This is the redemption of desire, not the repression of desire. This is salvation, not from her sexuality. This is salvation of her sexuality. Jesus is saying, bring all of your thirst for the bridegroom. Bring all of your thirst for perfect love to me. And I'll give you a water that if you drink it, it will well up in you to eternal life. And did you know that this very well, Jacob's well, in the Old Testament, this is the very site of certain very important marriage proposals in the Old Testament. That's what's happening here. It's a marriage proposal. Christ the bridegroom is saying to this woman, I am here to marry you. I am your eternal bridegroom. This is the whole Bible summed up right here. God wants to marry us. That's the whole Bible in five words. God wants to marry us. And he wanted this eternal marital plan to be so plain to us. He stamped an image of it right in our bodies when he made us male and female and called the two to become one flesh. That's a great mystery, but it's not our be all and end all. If we're expecting human love to fulfill that ache, to fulfill that hunger and thirst, We've turned human love into an idol, a false God. The love alone that can satisfy is the love of Christ, the bridegroom. This is what every human heart yearns for. And this is why the church is always understood as the bride of Christ. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. It's that eternal union that we desire. Let Jesus come into your thirsts. He's not gonna shame you. He's not gonna condemn you. He's not gonna scold you for having taken them in the wrong direction. He's gonna say, come to me with your thirst and I will give you a drink of perfect love. I will take you into the marriage of eternity, which you long for.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. John 4 never gets old. I love, love the whole story, everything about it. One of the pieces that I have been praying with I guess maybe for the past year or so with John 4. And I highly encourage all of you to take what Christopher said to heart. Please go to John 4 and read that and just pray with it for as long as you can. It is so great. But with what I love in particular that's always spoke to me is the very beginning, like before before it really even begins, is right at John 4, 4, John 4, chapter 4, verse 4, when he said he had to pass through Samaria. Like, ah. Jesus is doing the will yeah. of the Father. Like, I love it. God the Father is directing his son, no, go here, because I need I you to meet her. And I'm like, ladies, this is what God does for us. He will put Jesus in your life right there, right where you need him. He will you He will meet you at that well where you are going to have your desires filled, but they're not really fulfilled. Oh, I just love that part. And that is what, personally for me, Just as God has been put on my heart to just pray with that one line of just God's. I love it, Leah. That's awesome. It's just so good. God is just always there. I just, I mean, I love hearing John four. I love hearing other people talk about John four. I love reading it over and over. It is just my Christopher. It's also one of my absolute favorites pieces, and I love. I'm so happy that you brought it up because the very all of my faithful listeners they have heard pieces of John 4 for the past couple of years since oh, this podcast started. So the fact that you brought it up today is just a delight for us. You know, I think before we wrap up, I do want to ask you about something else. It's another side topic. And I know we probably, God willing, hopefully can have you back on the podcast to talk maybe sure, more about this. Back. But I would love for you to talk just maybe enough, even if it's just briefly, in conjunction with what you're saying about how how Christ redeems us and redeems our sexuality to be this place where we should not be ashamed of it, but how God has rightly shown his path in our life and and within it. And with that, I think what you have done, and recently you have a new edition of your book, The Good News About Sex and Marriage, which is— should all absolutely should be on everybody's bookshelf. You have to have this book. You, I mean, you have you just have to have it. If I had to tell you, you have to have anything, it would be this book, and I, I mean it because I own so many copies of it so that I can give them away. I love it. Ricky and I got it as a gift when we were engaged, and it is just. We have flipped through it so many darn times. And when people come over and when we have small group discussions and when we when we mentor other couples, that's the book that we pull out. It's like that book, the catechism, the Bible, theology mm-hmm. of the body, there you go. But in that, you have a new edition coming up because you are you discuss the transgender movement. And I'm just thinking yes. about talk about distortion. Talk about I mean, we already have a problem that you mentioned in the very beginning of this podcast about what it is to be human. Yes. And so now we're at a new level of uh, maybe, am I I saying this right? Maybe new level of dysfunction or disorder or confusion of now we don't know beyond what it means to be human. Now we're just moving in from I'll be a man now or a woman now. I mean, what's going on with that?
1: I think it's the final lap in the sexual revolution. I really, I really think we're on the final lap here, and here's why I say that, because the sexual revolution began with an idolization of the body, the expectation that sexual union itself, bodily pleasure, is, is ultimate fulfillment, right? So let's, let's connect this also with this story of the woman at the well. So the, the overarching theme of that story of the woman at the well is about true worship. Right remember Jesus and and the woman get in this debate about where true worship happens. Well we worship here and you worship there and and Jesus says the father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm. So what does that even mean? We all worship something. And what I want to propose is this, we worship whatever we think is going to satisfy our deepest thirst. Right. That's what we worship. The sexual revolution told us that our deepest thirst would be satisfied through all kinds of sexual indulgence, right? Unhampered sexual indulgence. This will satisfy your deepest thirst. Well, God and God alone can satisfy our deepest thirst. What the sexual revolution did is it took sexuality as an icon and turned it into an idol, right? Sexuality is meant to be, in God's plan, an icon That means a sign or a symbol that points us to ultimate satisfaction and ultimate fulfillment, but it is not meant to be ultimate fulfillment. Mm. When we treat the icon as an idol, when we treat the sign of ultimate fulfillment as if it were ultimate fulfillment, it cannot possibly deliver. And here's the connection with what's going on now and why I think it's the final lap in the sexual revolution. Because whatever we idolize, we will eventually despise.
0: Uh, I was. Uh, that's. Uh, oh my gosh. Yes, you're speaking to my heart. That's. Uh, that's what I was. That was. Sorry to interject here, but I. No, please. This is. This is the part within my past. I have a past as, as many people know of. I was a fashion model for many years. I was on a TV show for it. Blah blah blah. And when people talk to me about modeling and the fashion industry. I tell them, they ask me like, well, do you think it's a problem? And I say, the problem is, is that it idolizes the body until it turns to hate of the body.
1: Yep. Yep. And that's
0: what idolatry does. You idolize, you idolize until you begin to literally hate and you want to disfigure or disform or change completely. Yep.
1: Yep. 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 We despise what, eventually we despise whatever we idolize. Why? Because the idol can never deliver on its promise. Yes. And then we hate it for the fact that we went to it seeking fulfillment and it didn't deliver.
0: Yep. Oh my gosh. Yes. It makes perfect sense.
1: So, what we're doing right now is an all out despising of our sexuality. I mean, what else is it when a woman who has healthy, functioning breasts goes under the knife to have them removed? She's hating her body. What is a man doing when he has healthy, functioning genitals? and he has them cut off in surgery so he can pretend that he's a woman he is hating his body now pause right there it is understandable because of all the poisonous lies we've ingested about our bodies in this toxic environment it is understandable when you've ingested all those lies that you would hate your body and and want to change your body or come to despise it so much that you want to reshape it but this cannot be the way this cannot be the solution yeah i came up with a little uh poem may i share a poem
0: i would love that yeah
1: okay who has been unscathed by the incessant lies of a media culture that will prize and idolize bodies idealized and hyper-eroticized, but criticize and despise any shape and size it cannot commoditize. We need new eyes if we are to realize that the true value of the body lies not in being objectivized, standardized, and commercialized, but in being personalized, baptized, divinized. And this is what the theology of the body supplies.
0: Mm, Amen. And praise be to God for that. Amen. One more thing I want to say
1: about this gender confusion in the world. Become an etymologist. What is an etymologist? Not to be confused with an entomologist who studies insects, (laughs) <laughs> but an, an etymologist is one who studies the origin of words. And I want you to study the origin of the word gender. And you will discover that little Greek root, gen, G-E-N. And you'll discover that same root in words like generous, generate, progeny, genealogy, genes, That Greek root gen means to produce or give birth to. When we understand this, we recognize the origin of the word gender. This is what it means. Gender means, in its original meaning, the manner in which you generate. And that is determined by another gen word, your genitals. Gender means the manner in which you generate. And that is determined by your genitals. Men generate by giving the seed. Women generate by receiving that seed and conceiving in their womb, right? This is how we generate. But the reason we're in such a horrific gender confusion in the world today is because for almost 100 years since the contraceptive revolution, we have been willfully rendering our genitals unable to generate. Mm. That is the original gender confusion is rendering the genitals unable to generate. When that becomes the lens through which you see the world and human relationships, a contraceptive lens, If, or put it this way, if you're wearing condom-colored glasses or pill-colored glasses, eventually the meaning of gender itself will be erased. Why? Because the meaning of gender is the manner in which you generate. But if you're rendering your genitals unable to generate, what you're rendering is gender meaningless, that's what you're doing. So the world we live in is the world precisely that the church has been predicting that would come to us if we embrace contraception. Paul VI said it himself in Humani Vitae in 1968. He said, if we embrace this technology, contraceptive technology, the danger is very real that men and women will eventually think they can do anything they want to their bodies. And, this is the world we live in. Yeah, maybe the Catholic Church isn't crazy after all. <laughs> maybe, maybe the Catholic yes. Church really is the Bride of Christ that's taught by the Holy Spirit to teach the truth in season and out of season.
0: Amen. Now, what we can find out more, and I know you talk about this a lot more, and you're you've just revised this book. Yes, correct? Uh, when, uh, when I first wrote "Good News
1: About Sex and Marriage" twenty years ago. This transgender question was not even really on the cultural radar, but today it's it's everywhere. Yeah. So I, I recently rewrote the, the book. I get, put a lot of updates in it, and I added an entirely new chapter on this question of, of gender identity and what we really mean by gender. And, and I get into it. I get into all the nitty-gritty questions that people have. It's a Q&A book, so people sent in all kinds of very pressing and very important questions about this issue. And I answer them one by one in this new chapter and it will be available later this month. And you can stay posted at TheologyTheBody.com to learn
0: more. Okay, perfect. And we'll make sure we have that in all the show notes, links where you can grab that. And uh, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll already be available, which is very good news because you'll want to grab that. And you can grab that book, which which we all need. Christopher, thank you so much. And before before we head out and before we wrap up, a couple of things. One, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for not just, of course, being here on the podcast and talking with us and sharing your love for the theology of the body and making it very accessible for us to understand. Yes. Which, yes, of course, thank you, thank you. But also just, you know, from another, another sister in Christ, thank you for loving Christ so much that you, he allows you to be a part of our lives in this way. Thank you for saying yes so many times over and over when it was probably so much easier just to say no. But thank you for doing that. Thank you for loving the church and for loving us and uh, loving this message that we all need that is really about redemption. Um, Leah,
1: you are welcome. You are welcome. And I'll say this in response. One woman's yes changed the whole world change the whole universe. Your yes, and every woman listening to this podcast, your yes can change the world too.
0: Amen, amen. On that note, could you give us a challenge as we finish up here?
1: Yes, yes, I can. I'm gonna give you the challenge that my spiritual director gave me several years ago, and it was one of those kind of world-rocking moments. He said, I'm a recovering perfectionist, by the way, and he says, Christopher, I'll spell the word so as not to cause offense. My uh, spiritual director is a straight talker, and I'd love him for it. But he said, Christopher, you think a saint is someone who has his or her S-H-I-T together. He says, Christopher, you got it all wrong. A saint is someone who has his or her S-H-I-T open to the merciful love of God. So here's my challenge for all the listeners. What is something in your life that has been buried because you thought it was too foul, too shameful, too, too whatever to expose? My challenge to you is to open that up to the God who loves you and take it to the confessional. Because a saint does not have his S-H-I-T together. A saint has all of his or her S-H-I-T open wide open to God's merciful love. He loves you there. He loves you right there. Give him the honor and privilege of loving you right in that most shameful, scary place.
0: Amen. Well, you did not go light with that challenge at all, Christopher. (laughs) I mean, that was not a fluff challenge, people. Actually, I did go light because
1: I'm inviting people to come into the light.
0: Well, okay. We're going to play off that word. Sure. Sure. But you know what? I love it because I'd rather just get down to business when it comes to Jesus. Like we only have a short amount of time here. Let's make it count. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Again, if you're a loyal listener, or if you're a first time listener, welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. And if you did love this episode, give us some love over there at the iTunes reviews. We would just love one of those and those five stars. That'd be really super helpful. And remember, whatever you do today, do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And I'll talk to you later.